and humour. Yet, since 2003, many of them have resigned to pursue other opportunities in a borderless marketplace where their skills are in high demand. Ever since World War II, there's been a trickle of Special Forces operatives who've moved out to pursue other interests, but that trickle has become a torrent in the early years of the 21st century. In Iraq alone, there are more than 40,000 private security contractors, and the best paid of those are former Tier 1 Special Forces operators from Australia, Britain, and the US. Hundreds more are working in Afghanistan, Africa and Southeast Asia, and in many other parts of the world, applying their unique abilities to a variety of highly paid jobs. I wanted to know more about what our former elite soldiers were doing in these often obscure pockets of the world, and how they were finding life beyond the SAS. So I raised the idea of this book with Terry O'Farrell. Terry left the SAS himself in 2004, after a 38-year army career mostly spent in the regiment, including two tours of duty in the Vietnam War. He's now a full colonel and deputy commander of special operations for the government of the United Arab Emirates. He liked the idea for a new book, and he offered some unique perspectives. The Middle East is the current center of the action for serving and former Special Forces soldiers, and Terry and his team are right at the heart of it. One of them was George, a senior operator whom we met in the amazing SAS during his time in East Timor and Afghanistan, and a ferocious networker. Soon, emails were flying around the world, and my initial list of names jotted on the back of an envelope grew into a long catalogue of those who were prepared to share their stories, including some upon whom fortune has not smiled as kindly as she has on heroes of the most recent conflicts. A strong theme quickly emerged. Wherever they are, and whatever they do, these former SAS soldiers are linked by a bond that is forged during their time in the elite regiment. The new information age has also enabled them to keep in touch as never before, contributing to the creation of a shadowy and increasingly valuable global network of former brothers-in-arms that reaches across generations and national borders. It is a network that is made all the stronger by their common experience of the gruelling SAS selection course, which requires each successful candidate to leave his old self behind and step forward into a new life. So, as I set out in late 2006 to discover more about what ex-SAS men get up to after they walk out the gate of Campbell Barracks in Perth, I was very lucky to meet up again with some of the great characters whom I encountered as I researched the first book. They were very generous with their time and hospitality, as well as opening doors into the wider network. Whether it was in a small hamlet outside Hobart, or amongst the concrete, steel and glass fantasy of Dubai, or in a London pub, I found an incredible and ever-expanding network of these former troops linked together across the globe, and all of them with terrific stories to tell. That is how the theme of Soldiers Without Borders emerged. As one former SAS man told me, it doesn't matter where he is or what he's doing, a quick call on Skype will connect him to dozens of mates. In some places, such as Dubai International Airport, they can literally collide with one another in the check-in queue.
The Chief of the Australian Defence Force, Air Chief Marshal Angus Houston, is more aware than most of how difficult it is to keep Special Forces soldiers stimulated and in the service of the Commonwealth. I hold them in the very highest regard, he told me in March 2008. I think they are arguably the best Special Forces in the world. They are certainly the creme de la creme as far as we're concerned, and they do a magnificent job for us, and therefore I'm very keen to retain as many of them as I can. Houston is a realist about the fact that the lure of big dollars in the global security market has taken a particularly heavy toll on the regiment, but he also knows that money does not always compensate them for the support network and the standard of professional excellence of the SAS. He is keen to see SAS operators re-enlist once they have tried their hands in the outside world. He also recognises that keeping SAS soldiers interested and...